Amen. Are you guys being blessed this morning already? Uh, come on, you guys can do better than that. All right. Come on. <laughs> amen, amen. Well, as we continue our series, remain standing, please, as we continue our series on the strategies of Satan, I pray that today someone, one person, I pray that you realize how much more God has for your life. And I really pray that today's message will remind you of how much God loves you. Turn with me, if you can, to Leviticus chapter 16, beginning at verse 18. Leviticus is all about how God wants things done for him. Leviticus is a book that tells us how God wants us to give sacrifices, how God wants us to pray, how God wanted to build the altar, how God wanted to build everything. It was a structure. It's a book about structure for worship. So as they're going here in Leviticus chapter 16, God says that he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord, make atonement for it, and it shall take some of the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on the sides. When his finger he shall sprinkle some blood on it seven times and cleanse it. And from the impurities of the son of Israel, consecrate it. When he finishes atoning, I want to just say that one more time because that's what I'm going to preach on. When he, finish, when he finishes atoning, for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar. He shall offer the live goat. He shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on his head of the living goat, confess over it the iniquities of the sons of Israel and their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and he shall lay on them the head of the goat and send it away. Send it away. Come on, say that with me. Send it away. Tell your neighbor, send it away. Send it away. Jump over to Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 6. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our grief he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Chastising for our well-being fell upon him. And by scourging, we are healed. Can we give God praise for Jesus Christ today? <laughs> Father, bless this word. Help me preach. Speak clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You guys can have a seat.
as we deal with the second strategy of Satan. Going back to Leviticus, I was reading this scripture. And God begins to command Aaron, the priest, in the subject of atonement. Remember, atonement, it means to be reconciled, to to forgive. So God was giving instructions on how to have your sins forgiven. So God says, I want you to take a goat, an innocent goat. I want you to take that goat and slay it. And I want you to put that blood of that goat on the altar. And I love what the Bible says because this is a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. In our sins and in our shame and in our iniquities, God would take his innocent son, Jesus, and sacrifice him on the cross so that we can be cleansed from our sins through his blood. He, we don't deserve it. He just wanted it because he loves you that much. And I love this because as I was reading, there was something that caught my attention. There was something that I really couldn't understand. Going back to verse 20 of Leviticus 16, God said, when he finishes atoning, when you're finished atoning, meaning once the sin has been forgiven, once you're done and the sacrifice has been made, God said, I need you to now get another goat, but this goat will be alive. This goat is not going to die. This goat is not going to be sacrificed because the first goat did it all. The first goat laid it all. The first goat died. The first goat had the sacrifice. The first goat shed his blood. So the second goat remains alive. But I need you to bring a second goat. And you're probably thinking, Pastor, you're confusing me. I don't know. What does this have to do with the strategy of Satan? Do you not understand that in the Bible, God said, once atonement is finished, I need you to bring a goat that's alive. And I asked myself this question to the Lord. I said, Lord, this makes no sense to me. Explain it. Because if the sin has already been atoned, in other words, if the sin has already been forgiven, if the iniquity has already been paid for, if the goat has already died, and atonement and reconciliation has finished, why do you need a second goat? So they got the second goat. And Aaron just laid his hands on that goat's head with all of Israel watching. And as Aaron prayed, that goat represented the sins of the people. Are you following with me? And Aaron sent the goat away to wander in the desert forever, never to come back. Never to ever, ever come back. You see, what God was trying to do there is illustrate to his people what just took place. What God was showing the people was when I forgave your sins, I did to you what the second goat did. 
When I forgave your sin, I took your sin completely away. I banished it from my mind. I removed it and it should never come back to you. See, I don't know why we're not praising God for that right now. Because the Bible says that he removed our sins completely away. And he wanted the people to see it. He wanted to visually get them to a position where they could see their sins going away. So it wasn't enough just to kill a goat and tell them, you've been forgiven. God wanted to show them. This is called the scapegoat. The scapegoat in the Bible was a goat that represented your sin gone forever. Once atonement has been finished. Why is it so important you learn this? Why was it so important that God used two goats? Because God was illustrating a powerful point. Just because you are forgiven doesn't mean you've been set free. There are many people whose sin has been forgiven. There are many people who God has completely wiped clean. There are many people that God, out of his love and mercy, forgave. But see, there is a big difference between being forgiven and living forgiven. Let me say that one more time. There is a big difference between being forgiven and living like you're forgiven. Because you might be forgiven today. You might have given your life to Jesus Christ. His, your sin might have been there on the cross with him. You repented of your sin. You told God, I won't do it. You told God, I'm sorry. Lord, I repent. Please forgive me. But that doesn't mean you're living like you've been forgiven. Maybe right here today, God has forgiven you. But right now, you're still living under condemnation. You're still living under guilt. You're still living under pressure. You still can't let it go. Maybe God has forgiven you. He has forgotten. He he has removed it, but you can't remove it from your life. It still haunts you. You're still reminded of it. You still beat yourself for it. You still remind yourself of your failures, your weaknesses, your mistakes. And there's a lot of people in the church that I believe have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, but they're not living like it. They're still hopeless. They're still down. They're still discouraged. They're still feeling the sense of oppression. And even though they have been forgiven, they're not living forgiven. There's no joy in them. There's no peace in them. There's no rest in them. They're always constantly reminding themselves of how bad they are, how messed up they are, how much they failed. They can't forget it. They can't let it go. And every day of their life, the devil reminds you, do you remember your past? Do you remember you did this? You haven't changed. You'll never change. You'll never be forgiven. And even though you've been forgiven, you're not living like it. You can't let it go. That's why God got the second goat, because he was letting the people know, I let it go. When will you? God has let it go. 
But why haven't you? There's so many forgiven Christians who aren't living like it, who won't let go. You won't let go of your past. You won't let go of your failures. You won't let go of your struggles and imperfection. And you've convinced yourself, God hates me. God is mad at me. You see, the devil loves this. I'm convinced the devil is not bothered by the fact that you've been forgiven. I think the devil gets triggered, however, when you choose to live like you're forgiven. But see, so many of us don't get this. You've confessed your sins before Jesus. You've asked him to forgive you. But you still can't let it go. See, the second strategy that the devil loves. You guys ready for it? Shame. Come on, say it with me. Shame. Shame. That's, that's, it's just a simple word that destroys so many lives. How many of you, by a show of hands, are ashamed of something right now? The rest of you can't raise your hand because you're ashamed to, so you might as well. Am I right? You didn't see that one coming, did you? Some of you are just, you know, well, I might as well lift my hand because it's obvious I'm ashamed about something. And you were like, me. Some of you are like, I can't raise my hand. I'm in church. And there, there's no sinners in church. Come on, say it with me, shame. Shame is what keeps you bound. And I'm not saying, don't live your life without shame. I'm not saying, hey, don't be ashamed. No, you should be ashamed of your sin. But once you've confessed it, shame must go. I'm not saying live how you want. Do what you want. Have no shame. Live in immorality. I'm not that type of preacher. But what I am telling you, if you are ashamed of a sin, if you are ashamed of something you've done in your life, but you've gone before the altar, you've confessed it before the Lord, you've repented of that sin, let it go in Jesus' name. But see, what the devil wants to do is say, no, hold on to that shame. I'm grateful for shame. Because shame is what reminds us we need Jesus. When you wake up in the morning and there's shame, is a reminder that you need to pray about last night. Shame is a blessing because shame is what causes us to run to the feet of Jesus. When you're living in shame, you should have a natural desire to run to God. When the woman was caught in sin and in her shame, 
That shame is what got her to say, I need you, Jesus. When Peter was in shame and far from the Lord, that shame was what got him to jump off the boat back to Jesus. Anyone in the scripture that was living with shame ran to the feet of Jesus. But the devil is a liar and he wants you to stay in your shame. So if you're living in shame today, glory to God because you're running to Jesus. And if you run to Jesus and you've repented of that sin, it's time for you to let it go. Let it go. But there are so many of God's children under this oppression of shame. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they were what? Not ashamed. They had a peace in their life. They had communion with God. They walked with the Lord. They had such a perfect union. Because they had no shame. I believe today that if you live free from shame, you too can walk so strong with God. I believe that if you confess and you just completely Set yourself free from shame. Your relationship with Jesus will never be the same. It will continue to grow and manifest to the glory of God. But see, the devil knows this. And see, when the devil knows that a life without shame means you're closer to God, it's obvious that one of his strategy is to get you to live in shame so you run away from God. So the problem is, after Adam and Eve sinned, It was sin that caused them to run from God. We think that. That's not what the Bible says. What caused them to run from God was the fear that they felt in their shame. For the first time, man felt shame. And when man felt shame... Is when that person, that man said, I can't go to God like this. God won't accept me like this. God can't love me like this. I'm a terrible person. And the devil said, yes, you are. That's why you need to run away from God. Because the strategy is working. Satan wants to implement shame in your life. Because he knows if you allow it to, it can separate you from God. That's why in your shame, you don't want to pray. You don't want to worship. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to read your Bible. Why? Because I feel ashamed. But when you are under that shame, that's the best time to pray. That's the best time to go to church. That's the best time to read the scripture and get on your knees and worship before God. If you're feeling ashamed, the best time is to run to God. But the devil lies. And says, no, in your shame, run away from God. In your shame, hide from God. See, the strategy of Satan is shame. But when I study the devil every year, in October, I study that devil. 
I learned more and more about them. And I realized something that's going to blow your mind. You guys want your minds blown? Here's a lie. That, well, I don't want to say it's a lie. Forgive me, Lord. It's not a lie. Here's a false idea that's taught in the church. Satan wants you then. Say it one more time. Satan wants you to sin. Not true. You're like, oh, no, I've always been told he wants me to sin. Doesn't. Like, prove it then. Let me, you want me to prove it to you? No? Okay, I'll move on then. Are we not born sinners? Say yes. Does that mean that out of my mama's womb, I'm a sinner? Out of your mama's womb, you're a sinner. How many sinners do I have in the house? Why is every hand up? Because we're all sinners. Amen? Are you a sinner? Is that person next to you a sinner? Ask him, are you a sinner? Hey, what did he say? He was a sinner. He is a sinner. Oh, hey, say me too. I'm a sinner. Why are you a sinner? Because we were born in sin. Amen? Guess what? Say what? We're all sinners. So why would the devil want you to sin if you're already a what? A sinner. That's not his goal. Why? That goal was achieved already. You're a sinner. So the strategy of Satan is not to get you to sin. You're already a sinner. The strategy of Satan is to get you to shame and live in shame as a result of the fact that you're a sinner. He wants you to live in shame. It's not like he's spending all his energy. I got to get them to sin. If they don't sin before they die, they're going to go to heaven. That is not true. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So it's obviously there in the Bible. Satan's goal is not to get you to sin. His ultimate goal is to keep you in shame because of your sin. To keep us under shame. To keep us from getting closer to God. Because he knows. You're thinking, well, why, pastor? Why shame? Because he knows if I can get them under shame, if I can get them to accept shame for their life, I know it's going to keep them from God. And if it keeps them from God, They're not going to deal with it. And if they're not going to deal with it, that sin is going to remain as a bondage for the rest of their life. So all I have to do is get them to not go to God. Don't go to God. Don't seek the Lord. Get away from God. Hmm, how can I do that? I know I'll convince them that God wants nothing to do with them. I'll convince them that God hates them. I'll convince them that God wants nothing to do with them. I have a better idea. 
I'll even convince them right now that they're the worst person ever, that they're liars, that they're hypocrites. Why would God want anything to do with them? And if I get them to accept that shame, I will keep them in their sin. So the devil, Satan himself, sees that Adam and Eve crossed the line. And as soon as they crossed the line and sinned, there he was, running his mouth off, bringing shame into their life. See, the strategy of Satan is to keep you in your sin through shame. And Satan does this by perception. Because the Bible says that when Adam saw Genesis 3, 11, notice this. Look at the little, the little strategy of Satan. See, Adam told God, hey, I'm naked. And I, I was afraid, and, and that's why I ran. God said, who told you that? You realize that means the second Adam and Eve sinned, the devil started talking. Is that not what that verse means? Who told you? How'd you learn that? Who taught you that word? Adam saw he was naked. Let me ask you a question, church. We're going to learn today. Was that the first time Adam saw his naked body? What's the problem? Why all of a sudden, Adam... Do you see the naked body you've always seen? Every day you were there. You woke up naked. You went to sleep naked. You did everything naked every day of your life. You looked at yourself. You looked at your wife. You were naked. It was never a problem because it's not a problem. We are naturally naked people. That's how God designed it. But all of a sudden, after they sinned, they saw the same naked body that they've always seen and got afraid and ran away from God because of it and felt horrible because of it. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, Adam didn't change. He was always naked. What happened, God? And the Lord showed me there. Perception happened. Adam now saw himself different. The devil instilled in him a false perception that caused them to be ashamed and run from God. Do you realize that what shame is? Shame is wrong perception. And they say, well, pastor, how can that be wrong perception if what I am ashamed of is true? It is true. Whatever you've done in your life, whatever past sins you have, that sin you did. You're guilty of it. There's no denying it. 
But here's what the devil gets you. Here's where the devil works. He wants you to see your sin differently. When you look at your sin, it should cause you to have the shame in your life that runs to God. But what the devil wants to do is get you to live in that shame, look at your sin the wrong way, and perceive it as unforgivable, disgusting, run away from God, don't even pray, because that sin is horrible. So now shame is all about wrong perception. That's why people stay under shame. Because their perception is all wrong. You see, today, we realize that Adam and Eve felt no shame and life was great. But the second shame came into the world because of their sin. Ran from God. Wonder today if that's you. Are you running from God? Are you telling yourself, you might be here right now, but you're mentally, you're running away from God. Are you in a place where you really can't seek the Lord, you really can't pray, you really can't worship, because you feel like the worst person ever? What do you think that is? Who do you think you're listening to? Today we live in a shame-driven, dominated world. It's where young people hate themselves. People lived in constant fear today of failure. There's such an intense pressure for approval. So many people can't even say no. You need to please everyone. And it devastates you when, when you hear criticism. And you suffer great depression if you're not liked, if you're not loved. And it's not just in the world, it's in the church. Why? Because we're driven by shame. You're ashamed to say no to someone. You're ashamed if someone doesn't like you. You're ashamed if someone rejects you. You're ashamed if you're not good enough. You're not healthy enough. You're ashamed if you gain a little weight. You're ashamed if it doesn't fit you anymore. You're ashamed if you don't get it all the way the way that you want it. Shame is driving this world crazy. And it's in the church. You're just ashamed all the time. And in Genesis 3.11, God looks at Adam and says, Who told you you were naked? Listen to me. God looks at Adam and asks him a question. Who told you you were naked? Which shows me one thing. In the beginning of time, in that garden with Adam and Eve, between man, there was God, man, Satan. And in that garden, because there was God, man, and Satan, in that garden, there were two voices. It was the voice of God and the voice of Satan in between man. 
and nothing has changed. Between us today, between you today, there's the voice of God, voice of Satan. Both of them speaking to you. Question is, what voice are you choosing to listen? What voice are you choosing to hear? Every day of your life, you have a choice. Whether you're going to choose to hear God or choose to hear Satan. The voice of God says, come to me. When you're worry and burden, I'll give you rest. The voice of God says, I love you. The voice of God says, you can get through this. The voice of God says, you're more than a conqueror. The voice of God says, I can forgive that. The voice of God says, I have a plan for your life. The voice of God says, just surrender to me. I love you. But then the voice of Satan comes and says, God hates you. You're so bad. You call yourself a Christian. Look at you. You're even a leader in the church. Look at you. You should just give up. You won't measure up. Have you seen the other Christians you fellowship with? You're nothing like them. They're so good. They're so holy. And you're far from that. You know what you need to do? You need to give up. Hey, why don't you go back to the world? Go back to your sin. You'll never change. Just run away from God. It was so much easier back then, wasn't it? But you'll never be anything. Because God doesn't want you right now. God only wants someone good and perfect and pleasing. And buddy, you're not it. So let's go, come on. Let's just stop this church thing. Stop that Bible stuff. That's not you. And just go back. Your old friends are waiting for you. No one in the church is going to miss you. Oh, why? Because they don't like you. They want nothing to do with you. So it's better off if you just leave. Because you should be ashamed of yourself. How could you have done that? And between God and the devil, there's man. And two voices. It was in the beginning of time. And it's in our present time. Every day of your life. You wake up with two voices, voice of God and the voice of the enemy. God says, you need to silence the voice of the enemy. When you learn to silence the enemy of Satan, I believe you silence shame. When Adam felt shame, And Adam felt fear running from God. God told him, who told you? You were naked. See, God was asking Adam a powerful question. Who have you been talking to? Who have you been listening to? 
See, I wonder today, who have you been listening to? Did you come to church today listening to Satan all morning? Do you go, to, do you go home today just waiting to hear the voice of the enemy? Or is your life dominated and driven by the voice of God and his word? You're here today and you're saying, oh, pastor, I'm under a lot of shame. It's because you're under the strategy right now of Satan. Remember, Satan's strategy is not to get you to sin because you're already a sinner. Satan's strategy is to put you under so much shame that you stay in that sin so that you'll never feel the forgiveness of God. So you're saying, well, pastor, how do I silent voice of shame? You have to know where shame comes from. Where does shame originate? Where does shame start? It starts your head. The head is the problem. That's why in Leviticus, God says, I need two goats. Because there's two problems. The first goat is going to be slain and take care of our sin problem. But the second goat is going to take care of a second problem, the shame problem. Because God says, if I take care of your sin, but you don't take care of your shame, it's going to feel like you've never been forgiven. And you're going to live under condemnation. So that's why God says, I need that second goat. And when God commanded, get the second goat, where did God say, lay his hands on? Head. God didn't say his tail. God didn't say his leg, his stomach, his back, his neck. God specifically commanded, lay your hands on the head. And pray for the transgression to be sent away. Because I believe shame starts in the head. Anywhere Jesus touched to heal a person, he always touched where the problem was, did he not? If a blind person needed healing, what did Jesus touch? And if a deaf person needed to hear, what did Jesus touch? Are you following me? You see, when God touches an area, it's the area that has the problem. So when God says, touch the head, lay lay your hands on the head, he was saying the problem and where the area needs to be fixed in the head. Shame is a result of how you're choosing not just to hear God, but it's choosing how you're hearing Satan. Shame is a result of how you're choosing to see your sin. Adam chose to see his mistake and his sin as a reason to run from God. 
Because Satan began to get in that head of his. Shame starts in the head. Every problem you have right now, as a result of shame, I'm talking guilt, fear, depression, anger, self-hate, shame is only being felt in your life. And it's only controlling you because it's in your head. That's why the Bible constantly says, renew your mind every day. Renew your mind. That's why the Bible says, as a man thinks, so will he be in his mind. The Bible says, take every thought captive. Why is God so specific to take care and watch how you're thinking? Because God is trying to warn you that shame starts in the head. It's not the tail. It's not the leg. It's not any other part of that goat's body. It's the head. You see, that's why today it's not your job. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not the church. It's not your problem. Everything you have under you right now is all in your head. How you're choosing to think every day of your life. Now that you know where shame is and where it comes from and how it gets stronger, we know that shame is in the head. How do you fix it? When Satan shows up, and remember, we're between two voices. And when God is calling, because that's exactly what God was doing, Adam, where are you? Adam, come back. Adam, you need me. That's the first voice. The voice of God was saying, Adam, I can love you again. I can never stop loving you. I can forgive you. Adam, come back. Adam, where are you? But see, the second voice was saying, run, run, get away. He's mad at you. He wants to kill you. Hide. Just hide it, because Satan in shame says, just hide your sin. Just keep it quiet. Because you're between two voices. And it's all in your head. That's why Hebrews 12.2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Hold that verse, don't move it. For the joy set before him. Bible says Christ endured the cross. Despising the what? I never noticed it until I read it for this study. We always focus on, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Amen, hallelujah, great verse. Why don't we ever realize that right after that little comma, it says, Jesus endured that cross because he had a discipline of despising what? Shame. Shame. 
Then I got it. He endured. Endure doesn't mean avoid. Because you can't avoid the enemy's attack in your life. Every day of your life, that enemy is going to throw something at you. Amen? Every day of your life, he's going to try to hit you with something. It can't be avoided. But it can be endured. But today, endurance is failing in so many Christians. And there's a lot of people that aren't enduring life anymore. That's why there's so much pain and rejection and people quitting and giving up. Because we're no longer the type of people that say, I can endure this. I don't like it. It hurts. I don't agree with it, God, but I can endure this. You see, it shows me that when Jesus cross, the devil was there. And as we close, I want you to get this. What did Jesus have to endure? It wasn't just the physical pain. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the lashes. It wasn't the ripping of the beard, the thorn in the head. It's the fact that when sin came on Jesus, our sin came on Jesus on that cross. The Father turned His back on us. And when God turned His back on Jesus, the devil shows up. He says, look at you. You're a failure. Even God left you. Where are your disciples at? Look, all these people you loved, all these people you preached to, all these people you healed, spitting on you. Your ministry didn't even work. Look at you, they're dying. You should be ashamed of yourself. Look at you, they're lying, they're naked. They're laughing at you. They're spitting on you. Jesus, you should be ashamed. Shame. Shame. Give up, Jesus. Give up. You're alone. Shame on you. Shame. And as Jesus hears one voice only now, he doesn't hear God because God has gone silent on him. God has turned his back on Jesus. So the only voice he hears is Satan, and Satan says, I got him now. Shame. And as Jesus is hearing all of this, the 
Bible says Jesus endured. And I said, Jesus, how did you endure that? With the discipline. Put it back up there. With the discipline. Despising. stop the devil from throwing shame at you. But you can get the discipline of despising shame. When you realize that that little word despise is a Greek word that literally means, are you ready for this? Say ready. That word literally means to think little of and think it away. It doesn't mean the type of despising like, oh, I hate that. Jesus didn't say, oh, I don't like that. You're hurting my feelings. He didn't say that. When the devil threw accusations, when the devil tried to guilt him, when the devil tried to shame him, Jesus had the discipline to despise shame. In other words, when the devil threw his words on him, Jesus chose to think them away. He chose to get those words that Satan was spitting on him. Because this devil was trying to get to the mind, trying to get to the head of Jesus. And if the enemy is attacking the head, Jesus used the power against them by thinking it away. He endured because he had a discipline in his thought process. See, if you learn to think away what the devil's telling you, if you learn to think away, and I'm not talking about positive reinforcement, I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is when the devil throws a lie and a shame at you, you throw at him the word of God. That's what it means to think it away. When the devil says you'll never be forgiven, you say, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions. And you be thinking about that and you think it away. Today we don't endure anymore. We quit. We leave God. We leave the church. We divorce. We end our lives. Because we never allowed ourselves to think it away. So you're under shame today. Let's all stand to our feet today. Every head bow, every eye close. No one's looking at you. This is your moment with God. You're here today. There are two voices between you. There's the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. Who are you listening to? Maybe you're here today. You're living under shame. Tell yourself you're the worst person ever. 
not good enough. I'm ugly. I'm not smart enough. I'm not Christian enough, whatever that means. Some of you have made some of the worst mistakes of your life. You've asked God to forgive you, but it hasn't escaped because you choose to hold on to it. And God has forgiven you, but you don't feel like he has because you haven't let go of that goat. And in Jesus' name, today, you need to let it go. You're here today. You're saying, Pastor, I'm under so much shame. I feel like the worst person, like the worst Christian. I'm ashamed as a parent. I'm ashamed as a son, as a daughter. I'm ashamed. You put your hand up today for a minute there. If you're saying shame is in my life, God bless you all around the room today. All around. You put your hand down. You sit there praying. Won't you tell the Lord what shames you today? I realized something this morning. That very thing that you're ashamed of, the Lord already knew you would do. And the Lord is willing to forgive. This is how, right now, you're living under shame. The first thing I'm going to tell you is confess it before the Lord, right now. To confess means to be honest and agree with God. Be honest with God with what's going on. Jesus never got angry at an honest sinner. But Jesus got angry at liars and deceivers. So be honest with God today. Say, Lord, to be honest with you, I did this and I enjoy it. To be honest with you, God, I don't think I can stop. To be honest with you, God, I know it's wrong, but it's controlling me. Second thing I want to ask you to do is take responsibility. When Adam and Eve came to God, it wasn't enough that they came to God because they were blaming one another. And maybe you're coming to Jesus right now. You're saying, I want to be honest and confess, but you're still shifting blame. You're still blaming your past, your childhood, your parents, a friend, a person, a church, a pastor. I don't know, but you just want to shift blame. But right now, take responsibility. Say, Lord, this is on me. And right now, just ask the Lord from your heart right now to say, Lord, forgive me. And believe today that you are forgiven if you've confessed, because the word of God says if you confess your sins before the Lord, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your iniquities. The Bible is illustrating that Jesus was that scapegoat. He was despised, he was rejected. 
because he had your sin on him. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner and today I want to give my life. Ask the Lord to forgive me and give him full control of me. I want to pray with you. If that's you, you put your hand up. I want to pray with you right now. God bless you. See your hand there. You pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I ask you, forgive me. I confess I've sinned against you. And I confess, Lord, that I believe in you, Jesus. That you died on the cross for my sins. That you rose again. And only through you am I forgiven. And only through you can I be with the Father. So I surrender. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this word. For any person under the demonic strategy of shame. For any person listening to the voice of the enemy. I pray, Father, that they despise the shame. That they think it away. And I thank you, Jesus, that you bore our shame, that you took upon us our sin, and you died on the cross, Lord. So, Father, I thank you not only that we are forgiven, but I pray today that we begin to live as we're forgiven. Bring joy and peace back to the hearts of your children. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Have a great week, everyone. I love you all. See you next Sunday.